that you would be worshipped from us through our faith in Christ. We lift your name up. We glory in you that you would be glorified. You are worthy of all power and wealth, wisdom and honor, glory and blessing. Father, we thank you for our church. But you've not made us the church that we would be the church for ourselves. That in living for your glory, God, you would be using us to reach people. We ask today, God, that you would give us that real conviction. And you would empower us to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible page 926, 926 in the Pew Bible, or Mark 6 if you brought a Bible. We're going to look at the last four verses of Mark. Again, I've said this before, again, you could, you could see this as just a, a transitional passage that connects uh, what we've already studied in Mark chapter 6, like feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water, which was last week. Uh, before we get into chapter 7 where things start to heat up a little bit, but I don't want us to gloss over it, so we're going to look at these four verses here in Mark chapter 6. Joe, I think you're doing an outstanding job with the music. Uh, I love love these songs. Uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. I did not know that song. I think Micah Loggins introduced that song to us, and I I love that song. Um, And Blessed Assurance, I love that too. That's That's a good old hymn. I pulled out my hymnal during it to look at who wrote that and what years it was written, 1800s by Fanny Crosby. Um, but I love, I love that song, as you do too, Blessed Assurance. I love the song to slow down like that and to uh, hear nothing but the piano. And just those first lyrics, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And uh, I know it's church, I know it was uh, a song, and perhaps it was just a song. But to me, sitting right there in that front, or standing right there in the front, I, I loved those lyrics this morning, and I loved how it was connecting with my heart. Here's why. In life, we need assurance, do we not? Sinners are insecure people. What security do we have if we don't have Assurance in God. We are longing for assurance. You are longing for assurance. I don't even know your stories and your situations, but I know that you are longing for assurance. This week I did two funerals, one Thursday, one Friday. We had another man pass away on Friday, funeral pending. Three calls in just a few days of people dying. And then, of course, I'm sure you've heard the news of the young man, a freshman at Fairdale High School, who was killed by a car right here in Fairdale over the weekend. Death is all around us, whether we want it or like it. And every time I do a funeral or get involved with somebody who's passed away, the great big obvious, as you know, is did they know the Lord? Where are they now? Are they with God? Are they better off? Are they in a better place? And that's why we sing good songs, folks. I'm thankful for Joe. He doesn't doesn't just choose songs that are fun to sing. He doesn't just choose songs that 
uh, people like. We're singing songs that tell us something about the truth of God that minister to us and prepare our hearts for uh, the preaching of the Word. I've been dealing with a lot of death this week. It means something to me when I sing Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. And I pray as well that Jesus would be yours. And as we look here at Mark chapter 6 today, it's a little bit different. I want to challenge you to be absolutely assured of Jesus. And I want to encourage you or motivate you to be concerned about others being assured with Jesus. This is a message to challenge you to be evangelistic. This is a message to challenge you to be convicted that people need to know the Lord. That God wants you to be involved in people's lives. That's what this is about. I want to ask three questions today. Who are we wanting to get people to? Seems like an obvious question, but it needs to be reiterated. Who do we take people to? Question number two, why? Why are you taking them to him? Why? Why them? And then question number three, what does he do for those who come to him? Who do you take people to? Why are you taking them to him? And what does he do for those who come to him? Read with me in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 53 through the end of the chapter. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. People were fascinated with Jesus. People knew that Jesus was a life changer. People knew that Jesus could make a difference in whatever situation they had. People had such an unreal high view of Jesus' ability to do the miraculous in their lives that they would go to whatever length to get people connected to Jesus. You read the Gospels and you see that. I want to ask first, who do we take people to? Well, the answer is obviously Jesus. But I want you to hear today, Jesus, 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 and I want you to be taken back by, it is absolutely Him. I want you to be refreshed here this morning that people need Jesus and you want people to find Jesus, no more or no less. It says in this passage that they were crossing over and they finally came to the land and they they got the the boat up there and they moored to the shore. They they hopped out of the boat and and waded through the water and got the boat anchored so they could get out and they were on land. And, and, And basically as soon as Jesus stepped on land, look what it says, the people immediately recognized him. I love that. This would be the equivalent today of, he's in the building, y'all. He's here. He's here. 
I've been down to the King of the Bluegrass basketball tournament uh, every weekend before Christmas for several years now. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, I love to go down there. And you can always tell when there's a top recruit in the gym and people are scattered around or whatever, but you can absolutely tell when Rick Patino and John Calipari and Denny Crum are there to watch somebody. There are people everywhere. There are people gathering around the doors. There are people reaching over. There are people trying everything they can to try to get there and see them. Every single person there to watch high school players play basketball know it whenever those guys are in the building. It is so obviously true. And you might be in line at the concession stand and somebody you've never talked to in your life is going to say, hey, Patino's right over there. Hey, they can recognize. They can recognize the people. They can recognize the people who have big names or fame. This is similar to what happened. Imagine they're on land, people are going around with their regular day lives. I don't know what they would have been doing, going for a walk with their kids or working or, or doing something like that. But this boat lands and I imagine that people are often coming in and out of boats. But when Jesus stepped out of the boat, the people recognized him. And all of a sudden, there was this buzz. There was, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus Christ, that's the one, that's the one. And, and they were about to get going on finding the people that needed Jesus. Please notice today that many, many a people had gotten out of, the, out of those boats and walked on that land, and it didn't make a lick of difference to the people. But when Jesus Christ stepped on land and they recognized him, it made all the difference. I want you to hear today that we need a singular focus that people need Jesus. I want you to be reminded here today and convicted if that's what it takes and certainly challenged that everybody that you know, what they need is Jesus as Lord and Savior in their lives. I want you to hear today that they don't just need you to be a good friend. They don't just need you to be a good neighbor. They don't just need to find a church. They don't just need some good friends. What their great need is, is to come to know Jesus as the one who makes people well. And that'll be the final point. But they need to know that he is a life changer. Who do we take people to? We take people to Jesus. That's why in our church's mission statement, we have made it very clear that we exist to proclaim Jesus. Now, we do that while we are loving and serving people. And yes, you need to be their friend and you need to be their neighbor. And I pray, as I hope you are praying, that that is a step in helping them come to Jesus. But you need to be very aware that the point is for them to come to know Jesus. And until somebody comes to know Jesus, we have not done our job. Okay? We are to point them to Jesus, lead them to Jesus. We are to make disciples, as I just quoted in the Great Commission during the baptism. We are to help people find Jesus. It must be Jesus. Many times, we are aware that there are steps in helping people get to Jesus. Perhaps you hand somebody a Bible, or maybe you have um, taken them out to lunch so that you could share with them, or, or maybe you've invited them to church. But I want you to be reminded here today that those aren't the goal. Those are steps in the process. Those are not the goal. 
We are not wanting people in this community to just get involved in church so that they can turn their lives around. We don't want only for people who don't have jobs to find jobs. To be quite frank, we see it as a failure if the jobless get jobs, if the hungry find food, if that's the only thing that's happening in their lives and they're not coming to know the Lord Jesus, then we are not happy with that. The goal is the worship of God, and anything that is not the worship of God is wrong. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. That's why, and if you've been here on Sunday nights recently, when Jesus fed the 5,000, and we've heard some sermons on uh, the the, the I am the bread of life, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they didn't understand that, and going later in the Gospels, Jesus brings up, the food was not your problem, and the food did not answer your problem. You need to know God. You need to have a bread that satisfies you, that is an eternal, like a, a, a soul satisfaction, not a belly satisfaction. Jesus made that point. People need Jesus. Notice that it says they recognized him. And I want to to ask you here today, do you recognize him? Do you know in all of the, the lost people in your lives and in your family members and those people that are close to you, do you know what you're trying to bring them to? Because listen, if you're just trying to get them to pray with you at the dinner table, or you're just trying to get them to uh, think the way you think, or if you're just trying to get them to come to church with you, you have to understand that in your mind, I hope, those things are steps to Jesus. Church is a big blessing to you in your faith in Christ. Amen? Right. But to them, it's not. So if you've not communicated to them that this whole thing's about Jesus and all you've done is ask them to come to church, well, then they don't understand what church means to you if it's not all about Jesus. And you've got to be honest, I hope you know, if you take Jesus out of this equation, we're pretty odd and scary and creepy, to be honest. If this is not about Jesus, y'all, what? We were all up till 1 a.m. last night watching the Louisville-Clemson game. We're all tired this morning. Right? If Jesus isn't the center of this, then people think we're strange. And let's be honest, it is. If Jesus and the glory of God are not in the middle of this, we're a weirdo cult. Like, we look at weirdo cults. And if they don't know Jesus and know what's all about Jesus, then that's what they're thinking. They think we're strict and we follow rules and there's all these things that we do or don't do and that type of stuff. We have to be clear that's it. And if all we do is invite somebody to church and they come to church and it didn't change their lives, and they say, I don't want to go back to church. It didn't do anything for me. And we stop there and think, well, I tried to invite them to church. Well, we didn't really try. The message is about Jesus. The message is our sins and that God has done something about our sins and that God loves people in our sins and that Jesus changes lives. This is what the message is, and we've got to be clear about that. If we're not clear about that, then we're missing the point. I want to ask you, like they recognize Jesus, do you recognize Jesus? Are you able to tell if those people in your life are are, are coming closer to Jesus? Are they learning the truth? Is the gospel getting in their hearts? Are you recognizing the signs that God is using you? Are you seeing progress? Is God hearing your prayers and answering your prayers? Are you trying to get them to Jesus? Or or what what are you trying to do? Because the goal is very singular. It is Jesus. They recognized Jesus so clearly, so clearly. 
I was a part of a funeral where they had a witch doctor involved in the funeral too. A little bit interesting and perhaps a little bit uncomfortable. But it was okay. And I did the funeral and was able to say everything I wanted to say and was glad to be involved and was truly happy to be there. But after the funeral, the witch doctor came and sat with me and we we got to talk a lot. And so he was asking me questions and he sat down and told me that we believe the same thing. That we all believe the same things and we're all going to the same place and we're all the same thing. Even the trees and the animals and us people are all the same, made by the same creator, going to the same place. Well, I assured him that that may be what he believes, but that's not at all what I believe, so that we do not believe the same things. To be honest, he does not know what I believe, and he doesn't know what he believes. He cannot recognize Jesus and the truth. And this man is trying to help people find God. The whole thing was him making an effort to help people find God. That's his whole thing. He had prayers and he had uh, motions and he had things that he would do that he thought were helping people find God. But there was nothing in there that knew about where you find God. There was no truth. There was no wrong. There was no direction. There was no pinpoint accuracy. There was no yes or no. It was that, hey, the trees and the animals, his very words, the trees and the animals and the people were all good and we're all going to the same place. And I said, but what if they don't know that? And he said, well, they'll all find it out. And I said, well, what if they don't find it out? And he said, well, then God will just make them find it out. And I said, well, why did you even do it? And why would I even do anything either if God made us all and we're all going to the same place? My point is that if we don't know what we are looking for and what people need, then we're never going to find it. Don't you know that? You ever ask yourself, what are you looking for? And say, I don't know. Well, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. Well, I don't know what they're looking for, but I know what we're trying to help them find. We're trying to help them find Jesus. We need to be very real and honest and clear about that. In our relationships, as God opens doors, we need to let people know they need Jesus. That Jesus is the answer. And without Jesus being the answer, there is no assurance. They recognized Him. Question number two. Once they recognized Him and they knew that that is the guy they wanted to do, what did they do about it? I'm asking Who do you take to him? Okay, what are you going to do now? If you believe what I just said in that first point, that people need Jesus, he's the one who came and explained God to us and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. He is the one who has the keys to eternal life. He is the one uh, who we are safe in by faith. Once you know that, who are you going to take to him? And let's see how they responded. If you look back at verse 54, when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And so what did they do? They ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And just by reading that verse, I am convicted. 
They were, they were running. They were giving great effort. They were not coasting. They were not indifferent. They were not unmoved by the fact that Jesus was there, Jesus was available, and He could help. No, Jesus being there near them meant, I need to get the people that need Jesus to Jesus. This was in their lives, and it bothered them. And so they did something about it. They were running about the whole region. Who do you take to Him? You take people to Him that need Him. And as you know from your own previous experience of coming to know Jesus, if you don't know that you need Jesus, then you don't know that you need Jesus. Oftentimes, we are the ones more aware of who needs Jesus than the people who need Jesus. Now, that's not always the case. There are people out there right now who are very much so aware, I need help, I need God. You probably know people who say at times, I need God, I need God in my life, I need to come to know God, I need God to help me, right? But at the same time, there are many examples where we are the ones who recognize who needs God and we need to do something about it. They recognized Jesus, so then what did they do? They took off, they were gone, they were running and bringing sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. I want to ask you, when was the last time on any level you ran so that somebody would know Jesus? Now, you probably didn't have to run down the street and get them and take them to Jesus, but you know what I mean. When was the last time that there was an urgency? When was the last time you didn't have time, but you knew you needed to make that phone call? When was the last time you said, I I need to go to bed, but I need to get and send some emails or write some notes. I need to get some people. When was the last time you would have rather have taken a break and spent Friday night with yourself, but you know that somebody else needs the time, and so you spent your free time, your Friday night or whatever, with somebody else so that they would know Jesus? That's what I mean by running. When was the last time that there was an urgency in your living because somebody else did not know Christ? I'll tell you this, I wish I'd been at Glengarry. I wish I'd have been at Glengarry when that car came speeding down the road. Now, there's no way for me to have known, so nothing, but it still raises the thought, right? Wish I had. When was the last time you ran so that somebody would know Jesus? When was the last time you had a sense of urgency about you? Or what about the other thing that they were doing? They were, listen to this, bringing sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. I don't know the last time you took care of a sick person, but it is not easy. Some of the most admirable people that I know are those that work in the hospitals and nursing homes when I get to go visit people. That is not easy work. It's tiring It's messy, and it's hard. You've got to be strong to be able to pick up somebody that can't walk. You've got to be really strong. Many a times have I heard a mother say that her back is hurting because she has to continue trying to pick up somebody that needs to be picked up. It is hard work. When was the last time you did hard work to help somebody know Jesus? When was the last time you inconvenienced yourself or put yourself in a, in a tough spot or bent over backwards or strained so that somebody would know Jesus? Or do you just wait for it to be super convenient for God to bring that person right there and we know how rare and often that is? 
And perhaps you're seeing my point here. We know that it's all about Jesus. If you come to church, you hear me preach it every week. And so you know, point one, that it's all about Jesus. But I want us to see here in point two, who do we take to him? We take the people that need him. And that should move us because we know a lot of people that need him. We do. We know a lot of people that need him. Turn back to chapter 3. Why don't you look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 9. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Do you see that for those who were experiencing Jesus, there was so much of a, of a, of a reality that Jesus will change lives, that there was a big commotion of people around Jesus because Jesus was changing lives. I do believe that God is changing lives here in Fairdale. I do believe that God is touching people and making us whole and growing us in Him and filling us up and forgiving our sins and giving us newness of life in Him. I do believe that that's happening. But you and I need to be convicted here today that if that's happening inside of us, then we need to be going and working hard and realizing that we need to be involved in the work that God is doing of bringing more people to Jesus. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 28. This is just a few weeks ago. This is the passage where Jesus heals the woman and Jairus' daughter in the same story. And the woman had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. You remember that one? Look at chapter 5, verse 27. She had heard the reports. You see that? She had heard the reports about Jesus, just like they recognized him. She knew it. She knew that this man could change her life. And she came up behind him in the crowd and she just touched his garment. You remember that. Look at verse 28. Mark tells us, For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that person that lives with you, that you know needs Jesus, that's in a tough spot, terrible position that if they would just find Jesus, all would be different. Do you have the belief that they just need Jesus? Is it bothering you? Is it moving you? Is it convicting you? Is it driving you? Is it fueling you? Have you started to sense the urgency? Have you started to sacrifice yourself and your time? Have you started running? Have you started working hard? Have you started waking up a little bit earlier to cry your eyes out on your knees that God would move? Because all the beautiful examples that we have before us of God doing the miraculous and changed lives have been led by those who are willing to pray and pray and pray and pray. And church, let me tell you, your well-thought and meaning well and well-intended desire that they would find God is not the answer. It's just not. We need to realize that people need Jesus that he's the answer and that he can do it. And then we need to be thinking about what it looks like for us to help people find him. 
Verse 55 says, They ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people in their beds to wherever they heard he was. Notice that they weren't visiting them each day just making sure they had band-aids. Notice they weren't calling them each day just to cheer them up. Notice they didn't know what their favorite candy bar was and dropped one by each day, and some days it was flowers. And Notice that they didn't just bring the e-kids or youth group by to sing some hymns to them. They knew that they needed Jesus, and they wouldn't stop until they got Jesus. And this is what it means to have faith in Him and long for others to have faith in Him. This is what it means to have a Father in Heaven and recognize that other people don't have a Father in Heaven. This is what it means for us to have hope. Hope in God. And to know that that's what other people need. This is what it means to be absolutely assured that you're going to Heaven when you die. And to be bothered by the fact that others may not. Who do you take people to? Jesus. Who do you take to Jesus? Those that don't know Jesus. Now, what does that look like? That looks like a bunch of different things. That looks like a card written. That looks like a phone call. That looks like time spent together. It looks like a whole lot of different things. There is no formula. But it looks like a heart driven by the conviction that people need Jesus and saying, I'm not going to stop until God uses me to help them find Jesus. Lord, use me is the cry. J.C. Ryle says, let us see here a pattern for ourselves. Let us go and do likewise. Let us strive to bring all around us who are in need of spiritual medicine to Jesus, the great physician, that they might be healed. Souls are dying every day, four that I know of this week in Fairdale. Time is short. Opportunities are rapidly passing away. The night is coming when no man can work, Jesus says. J.C. Ryle goes on and says, Let us spare pains and laboring to bring men and women to the knowledge of Jesus Christ that they may be saved. Church, next week we're going to celebrate a hundred years. That's a long time. None of y'all were here when this church started. Some of you are pretty close. 1916. 1916. Some people came here. Our church was planted by Beachmont, for those of y'all that don't know. So Beachmont Baptist Church planted this church here in Fairdale. Praise God for that. They planted this church here. You know why? So that the people that lived in this area would come to know God. That's why they did it. And praise God, by His grace, He's kept this church through some major ups and downs. But a hundred years later, God still has His church here. You know why? So that we would tell God people about Jesus so that people would come to know him 
so that people would bow down and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your son who died in my place. I believe, God. Forgive me of my sins and give me life. Make me whole. Change me that I might live for you. That is why. And may we be aware of it and may we be driven by it. We want people to know Christ. And may it look like our laboring and may it look like our effort is. We had a man die in Tendor this week that is totally not connected to this church. We've already been to the hospital twice as he was about to pass away. Not connected to the church at all. We've already been to the hospital twice. We've already provided food for the family. We're asking how we can provide more food for the family. Why? Because we want everybody in that family to know that this church cares, we want to be involved, and we ultimately want to help them find God. That's why we're doing it. I've already had a conversation with Principal Weston, basketball coach Hicks, counselors at the high school, young man died. I called all three of them. I said, hey, we don't want to jump in the way. We don't want to mess up anything. We don't need to be involved. But as you're talking to the family, principal, coach, and counselor, if they need anything, y'all know who to call. We'll do whatever. If they need us to come clean the house, we'll go clean the house. If they need us to provide all the food at the funeral home, we'll do that. If they need a minister to preach the funeral, we'll do that. Whatever we can do, we want to do it. You know why? Because we grieve for them in their loss. We want them to be comforted. We want them to have help. We want them to feel loved. We hate them going through this tough situation. And we want them to find the answer in Jesus. Now, I don't know the family. Maybe that they do. And I hope that they do. But that's why we do what we do. And that's the way we are to be thinking and living. This is how he wants us to live. So we take people to Jesus... Because Jesus is the only thing. And we take people to Jesus because we know that everybody needs him just like we need him. And so that's what we're laboring to do. And then lastly, my third and final point, what does he do for those who come to him? Well, look what it says. Verse 56 says, and wherever he came. So it's even telling us, and you need to see in this passage, that it's just not that easy. It's not if you can make it down here to this spot where he posts up, he's going to pass out the goods and you'll be taken care of. It's not as easy as we've got Dare to Care here and if people can just make it here on a Wednesday, then they're going to get a whole grocery cart of groceries. It's not as easy as that. Jesus was on the move. He was doing his ministry. And it says that several times. In verse 55 it says, on their beds to wherever they heard he was. So they were hearing, no, no, today he's down here on National Turnpike. No, no, today he's down here on the Outer Loop. They're hearing that he's moving about. That didn't stop them. They weren't sitting at home going, sorry, bud, you just stay there on your mat today. I'm too tired to be running you around this town to help you find the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't act like that when you know the answer to life. We're not too lazy for anything when it comes to eternity. We're not. And if you are, repent. And we haven't prayed enough, labored enough, we haven't preached enough. We're not done. And until God takes you home and you're dead, it is time for you to be about the Father's business. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got the energy for me to run around, like, like I do to run around. Maybe you do. I don't know. And don't, don't, don't hear that as I've got a lot of energy. Some of y'all got more energy than me. But you know what would be fabulous for you to go to bed every night praying your eyes out? And you to wake up every morning and pray in your heart out. Calling upon God to work. 
Verse 56 says, wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside. So this does not mean the around the block. This means he was on the go wherever he was. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And for those that did, listen to this, and as many as touched it were made well. Or maybe your translation says they were made whole. Which speaks not to just their physical problem being healed, but speaks to the faith behind it that believed he could heal them. Which lets us know they were trusting in Christ. The passage I read in chapter 5 verse 28 of, of the lady that had had the bleeding. Remember it says in 528, she knew If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She had heard the reports about Jesus. She knew that in him, she could be changed. And this is what it looks like for us to have relationships with people to help them find Jesus. That our testimony speaks of what he's done in our lives. He has changed us. He has forgiven our sins. He has cleansed our conscience. He has made us His children. He has brought peace into our hearts. He has worked mightily in us. He has raised these dead bones to life. He has made us a new creation. We know that He's done that in us. And and as we are communicating that to them, they are coming to understand that He can do that for them. And so they believe that when they are trusting in Christ and touching His garment. And so, all of the running and all the effort was worth while. I love the Philippians 1-6 testimonies that, we, that we've been doing. I love to just hear how it came about, don't you? In many ways, that may be the, the very key part that, we like, that we're most curious about. I mean, we love that God's changed their lives, but we know that they're about to say that or I wouldn't have let them come up here. I want to hear, like, well, what was it? Was it mom or dad or was it grandpa? Was it college? Uh, CJ just got baptized, had, had no... No experience really growing up through her teenage years with Jesus and with church. And she gets to college and some Christian people in college help her find Christ. What a testimony. Praise God for college people who are wanting to make a difference and help other college people come to know Jesus. Praise God for that. And shame, and I mean truly, shame on our Christian people who are saying they're Christians, who are living college for them, living it up as worldly as can be. It is completely not Christian. But praise God for those who are seeing the college classroom and the dorm room and everything else as an opportunity to live for Jesus. That's how it should be. But I love the testimonies where we learn, I love the testimonies where we learn what, how this came about. Here, it was hard. I'd imagine that the people that had carried those beds were give out. They're probably sweating. They're probably stinking. They're probably worn out. But it was worth it. You remember the passage that we read in the New Testament reading from Mark chapter 2? You remember that one? These four men had carried the paralyzed man to the house. Imagine. I don't know if you've ever carried somebody on a bed, but it would not be easy. And they carry him there, and the house is too full. They can't get in. And I preached on that a few weeks ago. Y'all remember that. And you would have thought for sure, well, we'll try again tomorrow. You'd have thought for sure they'd have just stood outside and screamed. Or you'd have thought something. No. Not when you know he can make them well. 
not when you know that he can make them whole. So they went up on the roof, made a hole in the roof, and dropped the handicapped guy down in the middle of whatever was going on inside. They interrupted the party. And Jesus saved the man. I once in my life, one time in my life, I want to labor, wear myself out, give of myself. I want to sacrifice my time and my energy to see that maybe one person would come to know Christ. Don't you? Don't you want to get to heaven and see that there's some other people there because of what you've done? And don't you cringe thinking about how much TV you've watched and how many times you haven't said anything and how much you haven't even prayed the simplest thing in the world to do and get to heaven and all these people not be there with you? Don't you cringe thinking that some of our family and friends aren't going to be there? Don't you cringe thinking that the The nations need to know Jesus, and we can tell them. If we tell them, and they believe, he will make them well. He made me well, and he can make them well. J.C. Ryle says, what a comfortable thought that as many that will touch him will be made whole. Amen. There's a hymn that we sing called It Is Well. I think you know that one. I want to read to you the lyrics. Very fitting here and we're going we're to close. It is well is a slow song. It's a heavy one but it speaks. When peace Like a river attendeth my way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. Listen to this. Though Satan should buffet. Though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. What a good song. And folks, Jesus is telling us that he can and is using us for more people to know him like that. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. God help us to help others have that same assurance. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you that they recognized you and got busy helping people recognize you. Oh God, forgive us of our sins of not caring or not doing anything. Help us with this.
God, use our church as a place where many people can come to know Jesus. Use our church outside these walls, outside and off of this property. May we today hear that Jesus is real. We recognize him this morning. And so here in just a few minutes, God, may we take off running, so to speak, and laboring, so to speak, that they might believe. Oh, God, may we reap a harvest of you saving people and changing lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.